whether it's paper, electronic, it's, it's the Word of God. Open it up. Turn to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 8. Gospel of Mark chapter 8. We are continuing to just kind of, not, not, exact, not every verse by verse, but really a chapter by chapter, looking into and, and, a, and a closer focus, a focus upon the life and ministry, the teaching, the miracles, the wonders of Jesus Christ to people. And that's really where we are. One of my, one of my objectives with this is that we understand that it's more than just stories in the book. And I, I know that most of you don't feel that way, but rather it is, it is truths not only for their lives then, but for our lives now. And there's, there's this wonderful text here in, in Mark chapter 8, Gospel of Mark chapter 8. And I want to begin reading with verse 1 so you can follow with me. It's not going to be on the screen this morning, but you can read it in your Bibles or listen to me. Gospel of Mark chapter 8 verses 1 through 3 reads this way. During those days, another large crowd gathered. And since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. Let me just pause there. How many here are really grateful that Jesus is a God of compassion? He feels you. Passion, it means he feels and he, he feels with us. He said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and they have nothing to eat. Jesus continues, if I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance. Now Jesus was with this crowd of people, but more importantly, I think, he was with his disciples. He had been with his disciples, or he had called, more, more appropriately, his disciples had been with him for about two years at this point. And he knew, Jesus knew, that they would only be with him in person for a limited amount of time. Now he knew, as no one knew at that time, that his Holy Spirit would continue with them the rest of their lives. But in person, they were only going to be together for, about, for less than one year. Jesus also knew that there was a lot of training and preparation that remained. There were a lot of things that he needed to, here's the second time I've used this word, he needed to, this morning, he needed to impart some things into them, teach them some, something, put some things into them. And so here, this hungry crowd is before him. This is another hungry crowd, it says. Uh, when, when Jesus sees this hungry crowd in front of him, a gathering of thousands, it was an opportunity. Jesus recognized it as an opportunity to teach them some things they had not yet learned. Let me say that again. Jesus saw this as an opportunity to teach them some things they had not yet learned. By the way, Jesus still uses times of our lives to prepare us for His purposes. The Bible says that the steps of the righteous are ordered of the Lord. That means that when we're walking with Him, then everything that we do has a purpose. The things that He leads you into, the life experiences that you go through, whatever they might be, good, bad, everything in between, He has a purpose and He will take those opportunities those life experiences, some of them extremely challenging, and He will use them for His glory to shape you into something that more resembles Him. 
we sang this morning about the potter's hand and how the potter forms that, excuse me, forms that hunk of clay that is still pliable, that is still shapeable, and then he uses us and he fills us. It's, it's a powerful analogy, but he will take those life opportunities or those life experiences as an opportunity to change us. So, so Jesus is here. He sees this crowd. He knows where they're at. So what was Jesus teaching them? It's a good question. What was Jesus teaching him? And perhaps, just as important, what does this text, what is this, this story here, these, these verses, what, what, are they, what is God wanting to teach us? Verse 4 goes on to say this. His disciples, now this is in response to, you know, they're, they're going to pass out if they, they go. They're, they're, they've been with us a long time. I have compassion for them. They're without food. Verse 4 says this, The disciples answered, But where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? Now think about Picture this in your minds. Jesus has seen this crowd. We know from later on, it's a crowd of more than 4,000 people. It says 4,000, but that probably does not include women and children. It often puts it that way. And, and so thousands of people, Jesus says they don't have enough food, and the disciples respond with, where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? So understand, Jesus' words, Jesus bringing, bringing the attention to this, this challenge before them, suddenly places them in a desperate place. It put them in a desperate place. Jesus' words. I mean, everything's going well. Jesus is ministering. Jesus is speaking. Miracles are happening. But suddenly, Jesus asks a question or he brings up a concern that suddenly puts them into a desperate place. There were lots of people, they said. It was a remote place, they said. There are limited provisions, they said. What will we do, they thought. What are we going to do? You ever been, everything's going well and everything's just kind of floating on into the regular routine and then suddenly something comes up and your, your mind is suddenly filled with questions. We don't have enough of this. We don't have enough of that. What are we going to do here? What are we going to do there? And you're just all of a sudden thrust into this desperate place. That's where the disciples were. But I want you to remember, and, and, and this is why it's good to look at the greater context, we have to remember that it was not too long before this that Jesus had demonstrated that he could provide more than enough. Just two chapters earlier in Mark chapter 6, and, and if you're with us for one of the first times, you have to understand that the gospel of Mark is the most sequential of the four gospels. In other words, it happened just as you read it. Uh, the gospel of John very non-sequential but the gospel of mark it's the shortest gospel only 16 chapters but it is it happens in sequence so we know there therefore that just two chapters earlier which means probably not too long before there was a very similar miracle or a very similar situation at first to this one in a in a very similar situation jesus had supernaturally multiplied one person's sack lunch into a feast that fed a crowd of more than 5,000 people. That happened just two chapters before. Maybe, we don't know exactly the time sequence, but maybe just a few, uh, a few weeks or maybe a few months before. Jesus had worked very 
uh, had faced, uh, Jesus and the disciples had faced a very similar situation. And then the miracle of him taking that kid, it was a boy's sack lunch, another gospel says, a boy's sack lunch, and turn it into a feast for 5,000 people with, as I recall, 12 basketfuls of food left over. That had happened not too long before. But it seems, just looking at this, looking at verse 4, looking at their response, it seems that they had forgotten that. Their question in verse 4 reveals their heart. Here it is again. His disciples said, Where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? As I'm reading this, I, I, want to, I want to step back in time. I want to stand up in front of them and I want to go, hey guys, the answer's, pointing to Jesus, the answer's right there. How could you forget? You're talking about the remote place. You're talking about the place of great lack. You're talking about where there's not enough. This is the same person who provided for a larger crowd of people more than enough food. Why are you asking such a question? Do you kind of feel that way? Come on, guys. Now, I have to say this. Um, Don't be too hard on the disciples because most of us have essentially done the same. Okay, here it is, confession time. I have seen God work tremendous miracles of all kinds. Um, Protection, direction, provision, um, uh, 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 healing, deliverance. I have seen Him in my lifetime. I have seen Him do so much, and so have many of you. And then all of a sudden, you're thrust into this new desperate situation, and you're kind of going, I don't know what we're going to... How many here can relate to that? Seven of you can understand what I'm going through. Right? I'm just like, come on, guys. And yet, I've been that guy. It's not that I cognitively forgot about it, but it's kind of like the enormity of the situation causes me to forget about the enormity of my God. It's true. And we go, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And sometimes we just have to pause and say, Look what he's done before. Again, what was he trying to teach them? Here's here's one thing. If you're living for Christ, he wants you to pass big lessons. Let me say that again. If you're living for Jesus Christ, if you've surrendered your life to him, then he really wants you to pass big lessons. That's That's a very simple statement, but let me just break that out. Um, I mentioned earlier about how he will lead us through some sometimes challenging times, using them to shape us into something that more resembles him. The thing is, you have to understand that God is not like, I don't know if you've ever had a teacher like this. There, there were not many. I've, I've had, and most teachers are excellent, and I've had some really good ones. But it seems like every now and then there's a teacher that it's like they want to fail you. And it's like, it's like they, 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 they make it so difficult and make it sometimes so confusing that it's almost as if they take delight. That's not how God is. 
Now, he's also not a God who you know, keeps the bar about six inches off the ground and everybody gets a prize. No, but, but he's a God who wants us to pass the tests before us. He wants us to grow. He wants us to be pliable. He wants to teach us. He wants to impart some things to us. He wants us, and he wants you, to pass big lessons. Here's the thing that we need to understand. All in the context of these men who just two chapters earlier had apparently not learned what they could have learned. There are times when we go through things that are much like things that we've gone through before. Let me help you with something. If you find yourself kind of going in cyclical motions, going in circles and facing some of the big challenges that you faced before, maybe it's because you didn't learn the lesson or pass that level of lesson before and He's bringing you around again. How many here, now I need you to help me, don't just let someone else do it. How many here believe that we serve a God of grace? Let me see your hands. Yeah, you, you, you affirm that. But understand that His grace is not just given to us in forgiveness. His grace is extended to us as oftentimes second chance. I've heard it like this. We serve the God of a second chance, and I agree with that. But let me, let me add, we also serve the God of a third chance, and a fourth chance, and a fifth chance. We serve a God of unlimited grace, but the thing is, He wants us to pass those levels so that we can go on to the next level. And sometimes if we feel like, here we go again, I've been here before. Maybe you keep coming around to that same thing because you haven't learned that lesson and He's not going to take you to the next level of lessons until you first passed this level of lessons. I think this is what He's doing here. But He wants you to pass big lessons. Wouldn't it be nice? <laughs> Come on, wouldn't it be nice if we could learn eternal lessons, if we could learn biblical truths the first time and every time? Wouldn't that be nice? Go through it, check the box, move on. <laughs> Experience something else, go, oh, go, good, check the box and move on. But we're often not like this. We go, check the box, got it done. And then we go back and we regress. And then we come back and we go, I thought I checked the box. And God said, you didn't check the box. <laughs> You thought you checked the box, but you didn't check the box. I checked the box, he said. Verse 5 continues. Listen to this. How many loaves do you have, Jesus asked. Seven, they replied. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. When Jesus then had taken the seven loaves... And given thanks, and remember this, just like the earlier story in Mark 6, it's one of the reasons why we pray over a meal, we thank God for. When he had taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people, and they did so. Verse 7, they had a few small fish as well. He gave thanks for them also and told the disciples to distribute them so just with that text here let me tell you there's another thing that jesus was teaching them again and there's something that jesus is wanting to teach us again and that is 
that big miracles often begin in small ways. Big miracles often begin in small ways. I mentioned earlier as we prayed for rain, you know that, that it had, it, they'd gone a couple of years without rain, and the answer came initially with a very small cloud on the far horizon, but it became a deluge that absolutely nourished the earth and ended the drought like that. There are there, the, a, a woman in the Old Testament, again, a woman with a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil said, oh, you know, this is all we have. But, but with that little bit of oil, God worked a miracle, and out of that, that, oil, that little vial of oil came enough oil to fill up every container in the house. There are example after example throughout Scripture of people who God says, you don't have very much, but I can, take, I can turn a little bit into a lot of bit. We serve a God who can take small things, often very, very small things, and turn them into big things. Big miracles often begin in small ways. And I, and I, and I say that because some of you may be in a place right now and you're thinking, I don't have very much. But as someone so wisely said, very little with God equals much. And it's not the littleness that we have, it's the bigness of our God. Amen. But boy, it's sure easy to fixate on the littleness that we have, isn't it? The lack that we have. And, and, and boy, it's sometimes, it's, and I, I'm speaking personally, you, you, just, you just go, oh God, I, 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 it's so little. And God says, yeah, but I have so much. There's another thing, just in this text that I see that he was teaching them on that occasion and he's still teaching us today, and that is that obedience precedes the miraculous. If you're taking notes this morning, write that down. Obedience precedes the miraculous. That is, that is a principle, again, that just runs throughout Scripture. This is not a, an anomaly. This is something that happens again and again and again. But I really want you to get this. This is a big lesson. This is a big lesson that some people uh, miss and have to go around through some life's experiences and then have to repeat. But I really want you to get this this morning and really live this, uh, continue to live this throughout the rest of your lives. But that is obedience precedes the miraculous. Notice in this verse that we just read, or in these verses that we just read, how the miracle came after the people were told to sit down. Back in, back in verse 5, uh, uh, Jesus told the crowd to sit down on the ground, and then he, took the seven, he told them to sit down first, and then he took the seven loaves and distributed them, and then he took the fish and he prayed over it and multiplied it and distributed it. But, but before all of that happened, he told them to sit down told him to sit down here's the thing and this is conjecture but i think it's a very safe one and that is if jesus excuse me if the people had not sat down as instructed by jesus then they would not have experienced the miracle that's that's very simple but you think about that had they not sat down had they said i I have, I, I have been here for three days and I'm hungry and I'm out of here and all they've got are seven loaves of bread and a few small fish and that ain't enough for me. I am not sitting down. Had they not sat down, they wouldn't have experienced the miraculous. Obedience precedes the miraculous. Again, you see this throughout Scripture. Look at almost any miracle and in, in some cases it wasn't the person who had the faith 
or the person who is obedient, but it's someone who was on behalf of someone else obedient. But obedience precedes the miraculous. A few weeks ago, a missionary was with us, and we as a church together are supporting her at about $90 per month. Now, let me just tell you something about this missionary. She has not yet been to the place where God has called her. She's never been there. She's never been to that nation. She's never ministered yet to that, those, that people's group in that place. She's never been there. But in obedience to God's call, in obedience to God's call, she is going there. And in obedience to God's calling, we are sending her. There are miracles ahead. That young missionary is going to experience miracles ahead, miracles of every kind. She is going to experience miracles of provision and protection and direction and healing. And most important, we're going we're to see and hear about miracles of salvation among that people's group. Glory to God. But they would never happen and they will never happen unless people are obedient to trust God even before the miracle comes. Because obedience to Christ precedes the miraculous. Uh, Shirley Guffmiller, where are you? Just wave your hand right there. Shirley. Uh, I was talking to Shirley a um, um, week and a half ago, which seems like a month and a half ago. <laughs> but uh, just a week and a half ago, I was talking with Shirley. She had just gotten back from um, Dominican Republic. She had gone, and she was talking about some of the miracles and the salvations. A couple hundred people saved. Just lives transformed. Glory to God. She and a, another, a whole bunch of other people, medical missions group, went and, and ministered there in the Dominican. Miracles happen. But you know what? Miracles happen first because people go. And if you don't trust God to go, then the miraculous doesn't happen. There's a correlation. And that, the, uh, we could repeat that all around this building. But there's a correlation between our obedience and the miraculous. This is the way with every follower of Jesus Christ. Now maybe, just maybe, you have thought... Or you have said, well, you know what, I've never experienced a miracle. Well, then ask yourself this. Are you sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit? If the Holy Spirit speaks, do you know His voice? Can you recognize the leading of the Holy Spirit? Are you in such relationship with Him that in the middle of your day, in the middle of your whatever you're doing, all of a sudden the Holy Spirit, you're so sensitive to Him, you're walking with Christ, you're sensitive to, to His leading, and the Holy Spirit says, go and do this, or go to that person and say this, or go this, or give that. Are you sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit? And, perhaps just as important, when He speaks, do you obey? Because if you're sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit, and then you're, beyond that, you're obedient to, to do something when He tells you to do it. I promise you that when you step out in faith, when you step out in obedience, you will experience the miraculous. Jesus said, these signs shall follow those who believe. The miracles happen after we go. And if we don't go, and if we don't do, and if we don't trust, and if we don't obey, then we're not going to experience the miraculous. So this morning, if you say, well, I've never seen a miracle, I've never experienced a miracle, then the question is, are you trusting Him? Are you obedient to Him? Are you sensitive to the leading of His voice? Obedience precedes the miraculous. There's something else related to this that I want you to see from this text. Again, Jesus was teaching them, and He's teaching us. And that is this that work follows the miraculous. If obedience precedes the miraculous, work follows the miraculous. 
Two times. I just read it. Once in verse 6 and again in verse 7, it says, After Jesus multiplied the food, the disciples distributed it. Now that's a very important but easily overlooked dynamic. It says Jesus multiplied it. He worked the miracle, but the disciples distributed it. There was His part, and there was the disciples' part. See, it didn't happen like this. You know, it could have, because Jesus, he's, he, had, he had all power at His disposal. Jesus could have said, you know, <laughs> would have been interesting. He could have done like this. He could have said, oh, seven loaves and a couple of small fish. Everyone bow your heads, and they bow their heads, and He blesses it. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, 4,000 people go, oh, man, that fed. Uh, and then you got to, you know, mm, I think that was fish. <laughs> it could have just moved it right into their stomach. Right? He could have. He's God. If you can multiply it, then you, if you can supernaturally multiply it, then you can supernaturally distribute it. But that's not how it happened. Jesus multiplied it, and then he said, now you guys go and distribute it. There was his part, and there was the disciples' part. His part was infinitely greater their part their their part was indescribably smaller but they had a part they had a part we have a part in this we have a part in this you see when you do god's will it can it can be a lot of work it can be a lot of work doing god's will and taking part in his miraculous plan will frequently require big expenditures of time and effort and resources carrying out god's plan for our lives may mean some long days and some interrupted nights carrying out god's plan in your life may mean that it will often be hard work jesus said i'll do the miracle but now the work begins A few weeks ago in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, in our Wednesday night Bible study, um, we saw what Paul went through to be a part of God's great plan. I mean, you read it sometime. Don't read it now, but read it sometime. Where he just talks about, you know, the number of times that he was, that he was, uh, that he had, that, that he was whipped five times, 39 lashes each time. Um, he was beaten with rods three times. He was he had stones thrown at him. He was shipwrecked, and he was in pain, and he was in turmoil, and he went sleepless. And he just goes through this long list of things that he went through. It was hard work. It was hard work. Let me tell you something. Doing His will, doing the work of God, is still hard work. Now, I have to say this. I'm going to say it. And it again, this is that time where it may, it may be a little bit painful, but so be it, because I... Right? My, my objectives is not just to comfort the disturbed, but to disturb the comfortable. I must say that often when someone is asked to be involved in some ministry, either I've heard it or others have heard it, when asked to be involved in some ministry, some tangible work that has an eternal result, I mean, how cool is that? I've heard people say, well, I'm just not comfortable doing that. Yeah, please, no one say amen, but that's what I've heard. I'm not comfortable doing that. I got some news for you. Jesus did not save us to make us comfortable. A prerequisite for ministry is not comfort. You know that if we only did those things that were comfortable to us, nothing would get done. Can you see Paul going, I'm not, that, I'm not comfortable with that. 
First time he's beaten, oh, man, I am not comfortable with that. I am never going to say that. That'll get me into that again. I'm just not comfortable with that. Um, Jesus did not save us to make us comfortable. In fact, often when we are, listen to this, often when we are used by him, it will be downright uncomfortable. It will be uncomfortable when God calls us to do so. If, if, again, if you're sensitive to his, to his voice and you're obedient to his leading, and uh, tell you, you're going to find yourself in some really uncomfortable situations. Remember, Jesus told the disciples to distribute the food. He says, guys, here it is. <laughs> distribute it. So I did the math. It's not hard math. <laughs> With 4,000 people, we find out later, with 4,000 people, again, actually more than that because there were women and children beyond that number. But let's just say that there were only 4,000 people. Each disciple, the math is correct, each disciple would have therefore been responsible for distributing food to at least 333 people. That would have been stress. How would you feel if right after the service we go, hey, you know what, um, uh, uh, j- just speaking to one of you, um, uh, uh, we're going to have six, six buses coming up and we're going to have you give food to them. Would you, would you and you're going to go, not me, man, I am out of here. I'm going to Wendy's. <laughs> that, that's, suddenly, they were, they were responsible for distributing food to 300, more than 333. It would have been stressful. It would have been work. But I doubt that any of those disciples came to Jesus and said, you know, I didn't sign up for this. I'm just not comfortable with this, Jesus. No, they had learned enough to know that if Jesus is going to do his part, then I must do mine. Now, that doesn't mean that serving Jesus is joyless and always painful. It's not. But the joy that we experience in serving Jesus Christ has very little to do with our comfort, and it has much to do with his purpose. Again, confession time. People have often asked me, they said, do you, do you enjoy being a pastor? And you know, my, I'm always a little bit uncomfortable with that because I want to say, well, uh, yeah, I, I, I want to say, I just, every day I just, but I, joy in just being a pastor? No, I find joy in doing his will. I find joy in doing his work. He wants me to do this and I love doing it, not just because of what I do, but because of whom I do it for. The joy is not necessarily in the task. The joy is in, I'm serving Jesus. That's a good thing. By the way, there is a place of absolute comfort. There is a place of absolute peace. There is a place that is free of stress and labor. It's called heaven, and you ain't there yet. But until we are there, until we are there, you know, and people, isn't it interesting? People say, oh, I'm so looking forward to heaven. But we don't like how we get there. <laughs> oh, it's going to be wonderful. No stress, no more pain. Ah. But until we get there, we are to be useful and we are to be purposeful more than we are comfortable. Let me say that again. Until we get to heaven, we are to be useful and purposeful more than we are comfortable. Do not let comfort be the determining factor in your usefulness for God. Because if your response is, I'm not comfortable with that, it's not about your comfort, it's about you being used of Him 
to serve others. Finally, verse 8 reads this way. The people ate, and they were satisfied. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. Isn't that cool? This tells us that when we obey Him and serve Him, His provision is bigger than our need. When we obey Him and when we serve Him, then His provision is bigger than my need. Boy, sometimes our needs are big, aren't they? I, 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 I know they are. I've, I've walked through some really hard things with some of you. and Boy, some of the needs are so big. Oh, some of the burdens are so heavy. Some of the tasks are so great. and Some of the things that I've seen so many of you go through, it's just, it's just so hard. I, I recognize that. I know that. But I also know this. I also know this, that His provision, what He has, His resources, is so much larger than even what my need is or your need is. In fact, that's just that knowledge of that, the assurance of that is really one of the reasons why I just keep going and many of you just keep going. It's because, you know, boy, there's, there's pain right now or there's discomfort right now or there's, there's agony right now or there's stress right now or there, there, there's a real challenge in your family or in your business or in your job or in your school. There's a real big, heavy thing in your body right now and it's so heavy, but I know this, that my God is greater. He, ha- he not only has enough, He has more than enough. And I don't know what the answer is going to look like. I don't know when it's going to come, but I know this, that He has more than enough. He has more. Let me just speak that into your, some of your spirits. He has more than enough. Whatever you're lacking, He has more than enough. If you're walking with Him, He has more than enough. If you're not walking with Him, you're in a world of hurt. If you haven't surrendered your life to Him, You're in a hopeless place. But if you're walking with Him, He's going to make sure that there's enough and even more than enough. This morning, I want to pray for you. In just a few moments, we're going to open up these altars. But I I want you to know again, let me just just go through some of these life lessons that that He's speaking to us here in Mark chapter 8. He wants you to pass big lessons. He really does. He wants you to pass big lessons and and then move on to a new one. He wants to show us that in His plan, big things will often begin small. Some of you right now are just struggling with something and you just think it's just so insignificant and non-consequential that it's just not that big of a deal. You know, God's called you. Listen, God does big things starting with small things. He wants us to know that obedience precedes the miraculous. There's some miracles that He's just waiting to do. He's just waiting to do in you and through you. And they're different. In you and through you. He wants to work miracles in you and through you. And what's stopping it is your failure to obey. Obedience precedes the miraculous. He wants you to know that work Joyous work follows the miraculous. God does a work in your life. Well, get ready. There's some. There's some. There's going to be some. Some work ahead. It's joyous work. It's good. 
but there's going to be some work to, to bring it to completion. God does his part, you're going to do yours. And he wants you to know that, he wants us to know that his provision is bigger than our need. So this morning we're going to go to a time of prayer. I'm going to ask Joni and the worship team, or some of the worship team, if you would step forward. And we're going to sing a song that we sang earlier. I think it's so appropriate. It's called The Potter's Hand. And uh, I'm, we're going to open up these altars. In fact, would you go ahead and stand with me, please, just around this sanctuary. If you can, stand with me. And we're going to go into a place of prayer and uh, open up these altars because, see, I, I, I believe that, that oftentimes it's in an altar of prayer uh, where God moves what we've just heard and what we've just received by the power of the Holy Spirit. He really drives it a little bit deeper at an altar of prayer. So this morning, if, if there's any part of this, I think there were about five big thoughts that I shared from this that, that if, if any one of them really resonated with you, would you do this? Would you just say, I'm going to spend a little bit more time with the Lord. And so we're going to sing this through once. We're going to sing this through once, and then, and then um, I'll, I'll give you the signal, and I want you to come forward. But I want you to sing this first. I want you to, I want you to just begin enter into a time of praise again. And I want you to come into his presence again through praise, through this, this song. It's not just a song. It's a, it's a, it's a praise anthem to him. And, and as we sing it, and as we just, in, in the power of the Holy Spirit, as he begins to move in us, then I want you to step forward. And I want you to bring that, whatever that one point or a couple of points perhaps that really spoke to you. Say, oh Lord, I'm, I've, you know, I've, I've, I've not been obedient. Um, uh, I, I've trust, I want, I need the miraculous, but I've not been obedient. Well, then you come and you confess. I mean, really, you repent of it. Or um, I've expected you to do it all and, and me not to do anything. Then, then you, you can come or... You can say, Lord, I've, I've just despised the, the day of small things and thought that it's no big deal, but I just have a little bit, Lord, can you multiply? And whatever it is that, that really resonated with you, I want you to come and I want you to pray. Let's sing this through, and then in just a moment, I'll give you the signal. Just come for prayer, and then we'll close. Beautiful Lord, wonderful Savior, I know for sure. All of my days are held in your hand, crafted into your perfect plan. You gently call me into your presence. Begin to praise Him right now. Lift up your hands, your voices, your hearts. All of my life
Pray that. Make yourself available. You're the clay. You're the you're the thing that's taking shape, and he's working on you. He's really he's working on you. He's not done yet. Doesn't matter your age. Doesn't matter how long you've been serving him. He's still working on you if you're willing. So when we begin to sing this again, we're going to consider this our closing. God bless you if you absolutely need to go. But would you just as the as the team continues to to praise, come and make this a place of prayer. Bring one of those points, those those truths down, and say, Lord, this is the one. I want you to, I need this in my life. And so let's just turn this place into a place of prayer. Jesus, now, as we get again, go to, to a place of prayer. Use us, shape us, guide us, speak to us, change us here. We need change in Lord. Alter us here at this altar. We commit ourselves to you. We give ourselves to you. We put our trust in you. We want you to use us like never before in obedience to you, Lord. Pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you. If you need to go, go. If not, come and let's pray. Let's sing it together again.